0: Welcome to the German Marshall Fund's Out of Order podcast. With November 3rd just around the corner, we're continuing our elections theme and giving the host seat this week to David Levine, the Elections Integrity Fellow here at GMF's Alliance for Securing Democracy. And just a quick editor's note before we get to that discussion— This episode was taped on Thursday, October 22nd, the day after the directors of national intelligence and the FBI announced that they had found evidence of interference attempts by both Iran and Russia. David and Tammy discussed the implications of that news and what questions still remain, how voting's going so far, and what we can expect leading up to and after Election Day.
1: Welcome to the German Marshall Fund's Out of Order podcast. I'm David Levine, and this week we're going to talk about a topic that's likely on everyone's mind these days, voting. In this unprecedented year, what can we expect leading up to and even after Election Day on November 3rd? Here with me to unpack all of this and more is Tammy Patrick, Senior Advisor to the Democracy Fund and member of the National Task Force on Election Crisises. In 2013, Tammy was selected by President Obama to serve as a commissioner on the Presidential Commission on Election Administration, which led to a position at the Bipartisan Policy Center to further the work of the commission. Prior to that, she was the federal compliance officer for Maricopa County Elections Department in Arizona for 11 years. And she also serves as an adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota's Humphrey School of Public Policy and has represented the National Association of Election Officials, otherwise known as the Election Center, to the United States Postal Service Mailer's Technical Advisory Committee for over a decade. Tammy, welcome to Out of Order.
2: Thank you so much for having me, David. It's great to, to, great to talk to you. Tammy, it's, it's great
1: to talk with you as well, and we'll, we'll jump right into it. One of the things I think that's really important for our listeners to touch on, because they'll be tuning in from within and outside of the United States, is I would be interested in hearing about what you're looking at right now, as well as how elections are generally administered in the United States and how they've been conducted differently from previous U.S. elections. And I'll just add, when we set up these questions, obviously we weren't aware of what was going to happen last night. And so if you want to provide context on the press conference that was provided by the FBI on the latest activities by certain adversaries, we'd welcome that too.
2: Wonderful. Well, the thing that struck me the first time I spoke to um, individuals from around the world about how elections are conducted is really just how dramatically different the United States does it with our localized administration of the election. Um, So oftentimes, you know, globally, things are far more centralized at the national level. And we're, um, you know, it's uncommon in the United States even for things to be centralized at the state level, let alone at the municipal or county level, which is where more often than not in the United States, the rubber really hits the road and elections are conducted by those local election officials. So this year is really no different in that regard. What has um, changed really is how states have responded in this moment under a global pandemic to service their electorate. So we have seen some states that have taken on all sorts of practical measures to make sure that their voters have options in when, where, and how to safely participate in the democratic process. Other states have not, and that's that's putting it mildly. So every election year in the United States, we have, particularly in a presidential year, we have litigation, legislation, Um, And this year, we've layered in executive orders to really revise and review how the elections are being conducted in this moment. Those things can take place very close to Election Day. We still have um, more. There were more than 300 lawsuits filed this year um, around Election Administration, and some of those are still playing out in the courts. Some of our state legislatures are still in session, and who knows what they'll decide. And our governors and um, executive branch uh, across the country can also uh, still make executive orders around how the elections are conducted. That can really come into play in a wide variety of ways in which our um, American citizens participate in the franchise. It can um, have everything to do with the hours the polling places are open or how and when they can register to vote because in the United States, the voter registration for the most part is up to the um up to the voter themselves to register. It's not proactively done um, by government government agencies in most places. So that's all to lay it out and to say that in addition to the global pandemic and what we saw in 2016, election officials are uh, of course now also aware that there are ongoing um, adversarial attacks on our systems. One thing that's important, and, and I think we can we can dive into this a little bit when we get to um to talking a little bit more deeply about voter registration is the way in which election or voter registration is conducted in this country and what is considered public information and what isn't also varies by state. So it used to be the case that you know, a lot of voter registration is what was in what we used to call phone books. So um, I'm old enough to remember having a phone book and, and even, you know, using a phone book as a booster seat for kids when they were too small to sit at the table. Um, and so a lot of voter registration information is just that same information that was in a phone book. So your name, your address, However, in this day and age, a lot of people aren't aware that that used to be something that everyone had in their homes, and you could call a public library and basically get anyone's name and address from anywhere in the country. So um, I think we can kind of dive into what we heard about last night and maybe peel back some layers of the onion, although, unfortunately, I don't know that I have much more to add than what we did here last night. I think
1: that's a you know a terrific way to sort of kick this off and a good sort of landscape of what's going on broadly, you touched on voter registration at a couple different points, and I want to dive into that a little bit more. You know, one of the things I think that is of interest to, to folks is, right, that decentralization aspect and the fact that voter registration deadlines do vary from state to state. Um, we've seen some voter registration deadlines come to pass, right? because states, of course, had, at a minimum, had to offer registration up until October 4th. Um, but we know that in others, Right, registration still could is still ongoing. One of the things I think that's also you know worth noting is that we've had a couple of outages that occurred close to the registration deadlines in states such as Virginia and Florida. We also, from for many folks, are aware that in 2016 we became aware of revelations of foreign interference, particularly breaches of voter registration systems in a number of states. And and obviously, in addition to that. We've seen. We obviously were made aware last night of some voter registration information potentially being accessible to our adversaries. I'm hoping that you might be able to unpack some of that and talk about how we've how we've made ourselves in the U.S. more resilient since 2016, as well as give your sense as to where things currently are at right now.
2: It's it's such an interesting moment. Um, you know, it's not all that frequently that I think to myself, I'm living. Through history, and this is this year. Oh Lord, every hour of every day, I think, oh, this will be um, an entire you know college course <laughs> a few years down the road. Um, some days a little more than others, but all of that is to say that when we talk about registration in this moment, in a presidential election year in the United States, it is most frequent that voters are out in public interacting with third party organizations. Candidates are pressing the flesh election officials at the state and local level are registering voters with their clipboards. And there's a lot of in-person activity that normally happens. Um, Normally voters are interacting with their local and state governments and getting registered when they get a new driver's license or when they move. In this moment, however, we haven't seen that kind of activity. So we've been far more reliant upon the online voter registration offerings that some states And it's not available in every state that some states have. So the states that have done some level of modernization of their voter registration and moved some of it to online platforms have both opened up themselves to provide better services to their voters. And for full disclosure, I was an election official in Arizona. We were the first state to have online voter registration. Um, it was implemented back in 2002 and 2003. So it's been around for almost 20 years now in the United States. Other states are more uh, you know are more current um, additives to the, the the family of online voter registration uh, states. So in this moment, those states that have, have modernized have both allowed themselves to reach out to voters in this moment, but have also um, needed to make sure that their systems were really secure. And I think since 2016, Many states have taken um, a lot of action to make sure that their systems not only have redundancy to them and resiliency, but that they also are restrictive on just how far any type of penetration of a system could get and what those ramifications could be. Now, you mentioned um, some of the instances that have arisen um, just in the last week or so with deadlines. So it's absolutely the case that many states have statutory deadlines to register to vote a month before election day back from when everything was done on paper, Um, back when the voter list when you got to the polling place was a paper book. Um, We've had so many change to electronic poll books that this move to modernizing it and to allowing voters to have a more um, instant process closer to election day and even on election day um, has been an existing trend and more and more states are moving that way. But as you mentioned in just this week, um, you know, in elections, as as in just about everything, we have that Murphy's Law, right? So when is a fiber optic cable going to get cut by a backhoe in Virginia? It's going to be on the deadline for voter registration. So these are the sorts of things that in this moment, it's important that that the world and voters and, um, and you know, just everyone watching remembers that things are going to happen, Things always happen um, in an election because it's run by people for people. And we need to make sure that we don't immediately react when something does happen to assume that it's a foreign adversary. But we also need to make sure that we um, understand when something happens that we get to the root cause to make sure that it wasn't some sort of adversarial attack. Now, with what we heard um, in the, uh, the press conference um, just recently from many of the federal agencies in the United States that are tasked with securing our systems and monitoring them is that there, you know, there, is, there are signals that there has been ongoing and additional efforts to penetrate the various systems. We know that it is very hard to get in and change a vote in the way in which the United States tabulates their their, their systems, tabulates their votes, tabulates the ballots. Um, it is far easier to cast doubt on the confidence and the integrity that one should have in our system. That is an easy, easy thing to do. You put out a couple of messages on social media, you get some bots to amplify it, you get some Americans to believe it and amplify it themselves, and you're off, off and running. What we do know, however, is that we now have more than 30 million Americans. I haven't seen the exact number yet this morning. I'm going to guess it's getting close to 40 million Americans have already voted their ballots and have already participated. And we have not seen massive issues with voter registration. So the reason I bring that up is that if, in fact, there had been any changes to our voter rolls, we would be hearing about these issues as voters appear to vote. Because they either wouldn't be registered, their registration address would be different, and that's not the issues or the challenges that we're hearing either from vote by mail or at early early voting thus far.
1: Well, I think that's a, those are some really good points. You know, one of the things that I think you touch on there, right toward the end, that I think is worth sort of exploring further, right, is the fact that we've we've seen, right, real real high numbers in terms of early voting turnout, um, even in spite of some of the threats. Even in spite of some of the difficulties that have arisen from the pandemic, and you you touched on a few of them with regards to being able to successfully register to vote, um, as well as some as, as well as some of the other complications, whether it's you know polling places that have been forced to close or, or other things. What do you make of the the skyrocketing or the sky high numbers that we've seen in terms of voting ahead of election day? Some folks have you know suggested that maybe that's in part because a lot of voters just simply don't want to vote on election day because they're concerned about contracting the coronavirus but there may be a whole host of other other reasons and i'd be interested in your
0: take.
2: Yeah, i so i think the answer is all of the above. <laughs> I think that for a large number of voters um thankfully they're not waiting they're they're not leaving anything to chance in this moment. They recognize how important this election is. And um, and they don't want to wait until November 3rd. You know, so often we've been talking about voters making a plan to vote. And if plan A is November 3rd, those voters have no plan B. So I think for many voters in this moment, their plan A was to vote early. And plan B is if something happens, then they'll have to go to the polls on election day. Um, and we really had a, a large conversation around this very thing during the primary season when we did have a lot of people waiting until election day and I think voters saw that and said you know twice bitten I'm not gonna do that again I'm gonna I'm gonna get out early so the challenge there is that um, so many people are showing up on the very first, day of early voting or the first couple of days and so there have been really long lines. Um, In often um, many cases you know the lines have have extended for hours and the wait time has been very lengthy. Other places the lines have been long but they're um, they're moving and so that's important. Um, We also I think need to prepare for very long lines the last couple of days of early voting because that's what we we traditionally see Um, and I think what this is going to do is if you shift away by the end of all of this, potentially you know 50 million people or more, um, which I think it will be more than that by the time we get to election day, away from the polls on election day, um, I think we'll still see some lines because there is extreme enthusiasm for this. Um, but I think thankfully, many people are flattening the curve of, of you know, when to request um, and when to vote um, from what we've seen in the past for, as you mentioned, a wide variety of reasons. No,
1: I, I think that's absolutely right. Right, Part of it is, is public health to reduce the likelihood of contracting the virus. Part of it is, is voters making a plan, to your point. Some of it seems to be taking pressure off election administrators. And I know from an election security perspective, right, more people who could vote early, if there is a disruption, right, obviously voters have options. And if more people are voting early and there's a disruption on election day, fewer voters could be impacted. I, I think that's you're absolutely right. One of the things I fielded, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this as well, is you know, how much of this may be these lines that we've seen in early voting, a function of uh, people's trust around vote by mail. On a personal level, I was able to successfully and rather easily vote by mail in Maryland. Um, But I think, you know, there's been rhetoric um, from certain folks, there's been disinformation campaigns done by foreign adversaries. And there have been, I think some folks have raised legitimate issues with um, some recent actions taken by the United States Postal Service, which you probably have greater insights into than I do. Um, you know, knowing all of that, you know, what's your take on the integrity of the vote by mail process, and what folks ought to be thinking about if they're considering voting by mail at this juncture?
2: Yeah, and you're that's that's all exactly right. I think it's important for um for listeners to remember or to know that tens of millions of Americans have voted by mail in every election for decades. Um, and that the fraud of vote by mail is exceedingly rare. I've seen estimates anywhere from four zeros after the decimal point to six zeros after the decimal point before you actually get um, a digit. So it's unfounded. And again, it harkens back to how easy it is to cast doubt and undermine confidence in our elections is far greater than actually undermining or, you know, changing the outcome. It's it's very easy to tell people that they shouldn't trust the system. And in fact, that's what we're seeing. Um, when we look at the survey of American voters early in the spring and throughout the beginning of the summer, more voters were saying they were going to vote by mail than in the um, the more current survey work and what we're seeing actually by voters who have requested their ballots. So it's it's, um, it's kind of played out in, a, in an interesting way because you have on the one hand the the sitting president and a presidential candidate advocating that there should we should question voting by mail Um, however both of the political parties of course have very very robust vote by mail campaigns um, and rely on turning out voters uh, in a vote by mail situation and then we had a new postmaster general that came in um in you know, the early part of the summer and the later part of, of the spring. And there were some changes that were being articulated that I will tell you kept me up at night and made me very concerned. Um, I was fortunate enough to testify in Congress on some of these issues and some of these recommendations or some of the things that the the new Postmaster General had implemented. And for those listeners that weren't aware of what that, um, what the situation was, there was some, some sorting machines that were removed from processing plants and um, there were were some changes to the infrastructure and the network of the United States Postal Service. The Postal Service um, can process between four and 500 million mail pieces a day. Um, So even if every voter in the United States had a ballot mailed to them on one day, it really would not be a problem. So volume has never been the issue with the United States Postal Service. The challenge has come in that because of this patchwork in which we We conduct our elections with voters in seven states can request a ballot to be mailed to them on Monday for Tuesday's election. Now, it's not an instantaneous, instantly gratifying (laughs) process to automatically get a ballot um, by snapping your fingers, so that is setting up voters to fail.
1: I I couldn't, I completely agree, and and I just want to probe that just a little bit further, Tammy, which is because you know about this. I, I believe the USPS has indicated that voters should be trying to mail ballots back by no later than October 27th. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'd be interested both in that guidance as well as what you would advise voters right who fall within or closer to election day, what they ought to do to ensure that they can successfully cast that ballot.
2: Yeah. So the Postal Service for years has recommended that voters who want to mail back their ballot should mail it back one week before it's um, the deadline. And I say that very specifically because there is a problem and a little bit of a challenge when you put a date on it because there are some states where it has to be back to the elections office on Monday on the second rather than the third. So they recommend um, returning it one week before it's due. And of course, for voters around the world, that um, you need more than a week to get get it back to the United States, particularly with the challenges that we have now with many countries either not accepting mail or returning mail back to the United States because of commercial flights. Oftentimes, US postal um, mail goes on commercial flights around the globe. And when those commercial flights are limited, it limits the ability for the mail to travel in its normal processing time. So for your listeners around the globe, they wanna make sure that they check with their state to see if they have some um, abilities to return that ballot electronically, whether it's through an online portal or by fax or other means. So the postal service says you should return your ballot a week before election day or a week before it's due, There are more than 20 states that allow voters to request a ballot in that final week. Now, just I've been saying for months now, actually for years, but we'll say for months now, um, just because you can doesn't mean you should wait. Um, So even if there's a deadline in your state, let's take Ohio. Ohio, you can request a ballot up until Saturday at noon. Don't wait until Saturday at noon. To request that ballot. Voters really need to decide now what your plan is. If plan A is to vote by mail, if you're, you live in a state where you can still do that, you want to do it as soon as possible and as quickly as possible by whichever channel you have. So if you can do it online, that's the fastest way to do it. And then also know what the options are in getting your ballot back. So for voters that have their ballot, please vote that ballot. If you got a ballot in the mail, don't go early to vote in person because that's where we're seeing a lot of people are showing up. They were mailed a ballot, decided they didn't want to vote that ballot. They're showing up to vote in person. And it's a provisional ballot in many, many, many states, most states. Um, friend of mine in Johnson County, uh, Kansas, had um, a, a report the other day on Twitter. And she said, look, we've got more than 7,000 voters have voted today, which is great. More than a thousand of them were provisional ballots because the voter didn't vote the ballot we mailed to them that causes a longer line, that causes, you know, more cost of your taxpayer dollars, and it means you're going to have to wait longer when you get there in person. So vote the ballot you have and know what your options are for return. Know if a postmark matters or not.
1: That's wonderful information, Tammy, and it gets to that the last question I want to touch on with you. There's been a lot of mis and disinformation around the, the election process. Uh, you've provided, I think, a lot of really important factual information that folks ought to know to make informed judgments to ensure that their votes can be cast. What advice do you give to voters and to the general public who just may be interested so that they know where to go to have accurate information as we go through the rest of the election process, through election night, and even potentially as we go beyond that process, because there's a possibility that Right, We may not know the results for a bit of time after election night as well.
2: Exactly. Um, So I think it's important not to wait. I know I've said that about 982 times in the last 20 minutes. Um, But not to wait, and if you need additional information, reach out to your state and local election official. That's really where you're going to get the most current information um, and that's important because as I mentioned there are all sorts of cases going through the courts so things can change so you want to make sure you're getting the most timely information. It's also important to know that in this moment there's been a lot of conversation around the delayed results. I think it's important to let like, let's just dissect that language for just a moment. The results are never known on election night. What we have on election night, as Ned Foley, who's a professor at Ohio State University, has said, is that on election night, the media projects who the winner is going to be. In this moment, we might have a delayed projection of who the winner is going to be. We never know the winner on election night. In every state, all across this country, ballots are processed and counted after election day in some they have until 28 days later after the election, like in California, before the official winner is announced. So in this moment, we're going to still have in every elections office across the country ballots being verified to make sure that an eligible voter cast that ballot. They're going to be processed and counted, so the integrity of the election is going to be maintained, and that has not changed. What we will potentially see, and this is important because of course we have far more people who are voting by mail, is that if voters return those ballots early in most states, they're going to be counted early and will be part of the results that hit the holograms on the night of the third. What we may see, however, is that if the election nationally comes down to a handful of states that don't start counting until election day or afterwards, and um, those are states like Pennsylvania, <laughs> Michigan, um, and, and uh, Wisconsin, although some of that is changing as well in legislation and in the courts, we may not have answers in those states. And if the election comes down to those states, we may not have a projected winner. On election night, so that's what we need to know is is really um, that this is nothing new. It's not the case that um, solely because of vote by mail, we may not have a winner. Um, I mailed my ballot back two weeks ago in Maryland, and um, it's already been processed, so everything you know is fine. If I had waited and held that ballot until right before election day and dropped it off, then that's not going to be part of the results on the third. So, people who want to get this over, get your ballot back vote early, (laughs) be part of, be part of that initial result on election night. Um, So we potentially could go to bed that night knowing how the vast majority of Americans have weighed in.
1: Make a plan to vote, reach out to your state and local election officials if you have questions and be patient. Tammy, every time I have an opportunity to talk and hear from you, I feel smarter after I've gone through it and this is no exception. Thanks so much for being on Out of Order. Um, And I hope we have an opportunity to have you again.
2: Oh, I would love to, David. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant, Rachel Tausenfreund, and me, Sydney Simon.